Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to The Horror Hangout, a podcast where film fans watch the best and worst horror movies and new movies in festivals that are upcoming and have a little bit of a chat about them. Uh, my name is Andy Conduit-Turner and I'm here for a special episode today. I'm talking with John Ainsley, writer and director of upcoming horror movie, Do Not Disturb, which will be getting, at the very least, its UK premiere at Fright Fest this very Sunday, right? That's right. Sunday morning, instead of going to church, go check out Do Not Disturb. A great way to spend a couple of hours. Um, thank you very much for coming to join me today, John. Very nice of you to make time to come and talk to us about uh, about Do Not Disturb. Um, had the privilege of watching it already. Um, really enjoyed it. Great film. Not just saying that because you're here. Really, really enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so I guess to begin with, let's let's talk about your history. What brought you here? I know you've been a filmmaker, writing and directing short and feature-length horror movies for a number of years. Tell me about the journey that got you this far. I don't, it's funny because people ask me that and I'm like, I don't know. I've just felt like since, uh, I think since I was, well, since I was a child, my grandfather was always into photography and he had a dark room in his basement, which was unique. And he had, um, I still have a 16 or eight millimeter projector. So I grew up around someone who was into photography. And then I had an uncle who had a video camera that carried around a briefcase to record. It was like a massive thing. And we would make little things. And uh, I got into that. I bought a camera and I started making my own short films. And I was lucky enough to go to um, a school. I think when I was about 16, they bought uh, an S video, an SVHS edit suite. And no one knew how to use it. And so I decided to skip out of class and just figure it out. Um, and from there, I started re-editing. Like I re-edited Pulp Fiction and Linear. I re-edited Natural Born Killers in order and just to teach myself how to use it. And it was fun. Um, 
And then from there, I uh, just started making things and trying to find money to make bigger things. And I'm still basically doing that. Still doing <laughs> trying it. Trying to find money to make bigger things is my lot in life. Great. And I know you started with um, with short films. We spoke briefly about uh, Jack Brooks' Monster Hunter, something that I very quickly added to my watch list after I became aware of it. Um, very much up, certainly mine, a lot and all of our listeners' uh, streets as well. Very great over-the-top schlocky horror which um fantastic in my book well it was um that one was unique because at the time it was uh sort of there was a lot of movies coming out that were just starting to experiment with um uh cgi or computer generated visual effects um and then there was also seemed to be a trend of torture porn movies is what they called them and we decided to make a movie with all practical effects and and just going back to like the 80s um, and, and late 70s kind of fun horror in a way um, that blends comedy and horror, but also you get away with stuff because everything's big and bigger than it should be. Um, and it's a great film to watch with an audience because people are cheering and and uh, I don't know, there seems to be a kind of a resurgent towards that tenant type of um, horror. And lucky enough, we, we worked on the script and we sent it. And we were lucky enough to get Robert Englund. And that changed the dynamic of the entire project. And uh, yeah, it must be huge as a as a horror fan, right? As well, writing for writing lines for absolute icons of of horror. We we wrote no, no. We were in a room. Kanats and I were in a room writing with no illusion that it would ever get made. At times, we we just because we had a version that was a little more serious first, and John was like, "Let's just we don't have the budget to do this epic stuff that we want to do." you know, like Indiana Jones perf like that level. So let's make it funny and then we can do it big, but get away with, if it looks like a rubber suit, no one's going to care because it's actually there. And I think both him and I agree that, you know, those kind of practical effects, even if it is a rubber suit, there's something in our heads that know it's there compared to even today with all the developments in computer generated effects, I'll be watching a Marvel movie and thinking like those effects look, they don't look real. Some of it does, like the Hulk looks good, but like some of it, I'm just like, it, I, I know it's not real. And I don't know if that's me because I'm a filmmaker and I can see some of the the uh, the fringes or whatever, but I, I just, there's something of feeling about those old monster movies that have the, the guy in a rubber suit who's an actor who's pushing it. And even the difference between Yoda as a puppet versus Yoda as a computer generated, you feel that. Yeah, you can, see, you can feel the weight and the difference. And as a complete non-filmmaker, I can tell you, I would still rate the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park far more highly than something made 20 years after. Yeah. Well, even, and still, as far as space movies go, 2001 Space Odyssey is still the top of the game in a lot of ways. It feels like space. It looks like, I'm not, I'm not in space, so you're taking liberties, but that's what I think space feels. I mean, Star Wars looks great too, but that, there's something about 2001 and sort of Kubrick's ability to make it blasé, Right. Like space wasn't like he's sitting on that plane going to the moon and we're all like, he's going to the moon. Whereas, you know, Hayden's just it's another day at the office. And yeah. that's, <laughs> that was a decision that kind of translates into making it feel real, I think. Well, thank goodness for folks like you, John, continuing to work on practical yeah. effects and over the top horror, because when you mention it's having a bit of resurgence, I think it's heavily owed to people who kept it going when it wasn't. And it wasn't the... In it, everything was CGI. So I'm glad I still have movies that I haven't watched to go back and watch like, and I'm glad it's to see it coming back today. 
Um, but through all that journey, it brought us to where we are today. Um, do not disturb, right? Your your latest your latest feature. It's not your debut directing uh, feature, right? You you did Sublet previously. Is that was that yeah, your first Sublet, one? Sublet was at a an even smaller budget. Um, but the funny thing is, I I pitched Do Not Disturb, and it wasn't doable on the budget we had, and so I had Sublet um, sort of there. I had to finish it up quickly, but I pitched it as though it was done, and then rewrote it very quickly and submitted it, and it worked out perfectly for the parameters of that that uh that particular kind of production thing they had going. And here we so, are yeah. today with with Do Not Disturb. The the write-ups I have for it, the synopsis is, um, I like your tagline here, love is all-consuming, narcotic in a narcotic nightmare, a psychedelic exploration of love, lust, and carnal desire. Um, having seen it, excellent description. But <laughs> there's no one better to ask than you. So any synopsis or any more guidance you'd like to give us on what people should expect heading in to see it this uh, this weekend or beyond? Yeah, I think I think if you've seen the trailer, you know there's going to get it's going to get bloody. Um, but at its core, it's a relationship movie, and it's funny as much as like it is a horror movie, and as much as I make horror movies, and that's always where I lean. Um, I was looking at you know Blue Valentine and like relationship movies for the core of that story that strengthens everything, so that when they do start getting bloody, it means more. Um, and you, I, I don't, and hopefully the audience kind of feels something as they, and feels conflicted about who should die and who shouldn't die rather than just enjoying the, uh, the wonderful, the effects that are in it as well. So, yeah. And having, having watched it now, um, it was really, you know, commend you on the relationship worker, because I think, especially when you are leaning into the over the top and the horror and the action elements of it, there are some great moments, in the movie where, things do take a pause and you are taking some time to see um, just the dynamic of this, this troubled relationship that the the film is centered around. Right. It's um, it's really good to see. And I think we bring up the discussion of what is elevated horror and what, you know, what awards companies recognize as genre pieces that never get necessarily the recognition for having deeper meaning behind them. And I right. think what you've created here is a really nice example of, this isn't throwaway dialogue that we have between two characters just to fill in some gaps between some gore. Um, you go through an emotional gambit in this one. I, I think it's, there's a lot yeah. to take away from watching this. Well, and it was fun at the premiere. Some people came up to me and said their spouses dragged them there and that they hate horror movies and never watch them and don't like, but that they loved the film and really got the characters and really dove in. And I think that's having that as its core nucleus and the whole, I mean, elevated horror is a new, it's not that new of a term anymore because mm -hmm. we've been talking about it, but I really think it's like, I just think there's types of genre films that focus on the emotion and some that focus on the visuals and some that kind of try to meet in the middle, but both like all are great yeah. and all are fun to watch depending on your mood. You know, like I don't always want to sit down and watch a brooding dark movie, but sometimes I do. And I don't always want to watch comedy, but sometimes so you have to have a variety. And I think elevated horror is something that the popular culture is just coming to turn like, People who've watched horror since the 70s understand that Texas Chainsaw Massacre has a message behind mm -hmm. all the madness and those types of movies that, you know, I think they've come to horror looking as an outsider. But I mean, horror is the best genre out there in terms of being able to explore anything you want and go any place you want. Um, and I don't think any uh, comedy is probably a close second and neither are taken very seriously by 
uh, I don't know, the award shows. Or yeah, anything. the awarding bodies, the authority that are behind these things. But yeah. as much as I scoff at phrases like elevated horror, I think that it's, if it's a way in, that the genre begins yeah. to get recognized more than fine. We'll put up with it for a while. <laughs> yeah, but you're always making a movie for yourself and then it becomes, you're making it for a sales agent and then you're making it for the marketing people. So it's it, it the journey of what that film is changes along the way. Um, and I think elevated horror is a marketing term in order to sell horror yeah. to people to, to get a bigger yeah. audience. Yeah, if it, if it gets you in the right room and around the right table, fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People who are watching horror, they aren't tuning in for this and that. They're watching because the there's a good trailer and there's filmmakers attached that they know usually. Yeah, and with with this film in particular, I mean, despite you know there are some very very serious moments we've mentioned, there are some good relationship. I think certainly looking at it and then looking at some of your back catalogue of work as well, there is a lot that I can see in your maybe horror comedy roots as well, and particularly some of the physical elements as well. Like, did you did you really look to bring put that into the movie as you went through? Yeah, I totally, I, I, this, this movie in particular, I kind of just went for it. And I was lucky enough to have um, executive producers who just supported me the entire way, even if they didn't, sometimes they would just, you know, the script level, you'd get like, I don't know, is this funny? And I was like, well, yeah, it's supposed to be funny, but not that kind of funny or this. And that. so they just trusted me and let me go. And it was great. And I had my my producer, Rechna, who is my wife as well, who has known about this script for a long time. And she knew that I had it in my head and just kind of supported everything. Um, but I decided to go for it because, I mean, Jack Brooks, I was just the writer. So it was easy to just create these things and then you let production do <laughs> Yeah, it. you deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then with the sublet, there in the script, there was actually some, there's a, there is some tongue-in-cheek comedy within it. And if you watch it with a crowd, there's some awkward laughter that does pop up. Um, but I shied away from that because I, it was my first feature and I wanted to focus on on other things. And on this, and I regret it a little bit because there is some there are some funny moments that I cut out of the film or didn't shoot, just because I didn't think they wouldn't work because it's such an atmospheric film. And in this one, I wanted to try to pull off that atmosphere with the comedy with the gore with the slapstick with the effects like and it's a weird like there's a couple of scenes there we're jumping you yeah. don't know if you should laugh cry feel emotions or walk out or throw up or who knows like there's two scenes in particular that just blow they were a real challenge to shoot and real challenge to keep track of the action on this side of the room and the action on this side of the room and how they meet and what everything there's a lot of stuff going on in those uh those two scenes in particular yeah there's some really really kind of high octane like you say real gear shift moments watching through the movie when it came to shooting it with the cast on the day a lot of the the action and everything um when they're tumbling around in the room on some occasions yeah. it feels it feels really organic it feels really well done like how did you approach it was it really heavily choreographed or did you give the guys a bit of a, a loose plan and see how they improved it out no, when you're when you're doing I as a director, I generally type I, I like to talk, 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 talk. And then I I mean I'm a stylized director. I like to control the camera, but at the same time, I like the doc feel and I like being handheld and letting the actors roam wherever they want. But when it comes to action, if you're throwing someone around the room near a hard table or you've got to plan that That'll out. Be safe. <laughs> yeah, we had a stunt coordinator with us, and uh she was also um our intimacy coordinator because the sex scenes are kind of the same as the action fighting scenes where you have it's to know be where body parts are going to pop on the camera what's not um and so that's kind of fun um because she 
she inherently knows how bodies work more than I do. And she knows, she understands what I want on camera and then can figure it out with the actors of how do we do this or come up with suggestions of, you know, would this work if we do this or the geography doesn't make sense because you can't have your camera here or whatever. You're always hiding, um, hiding what's there because you want it to make it look real, but you also want to keep people safe. So, yeah. Well, you know, extra props to your stunt coordination team then like some of the scenes when they're tumbling about the room completely buy it as this is just uh this is just a thing that happened this is just like yeah. you barely see those those cuts and the changes in there as well so phenomenal work in making it look incredibly organic awesome. and really um really capturing kind of things not that i've ever seen anyone <laughs> um, take any drugs or anything along those lines but seeing some of those scenes where they are out of their minds almost as well excellently played it was really it was a real joy to watch yeah i had a lovely cast uh i was i mean kim is amazing um and she really just made it her own and and it was amazing working with her because we didn't have to communicate much we'd done so much homework that once we got to set it was just rolling through it um and then rogan was ready to go anywhere he want uh, where I, where we wanted to and he it's funny because fine tuning his character was tough because he's a dick, but you also yeah. want to let him just enough. Yeah. Uh, and then the man child thing would, it was balancing that because, you know, as a human being, his, his inner instinct is to be caring. Right. But I'm like, it's a couple of times where I'm like, no, no, you're a dick. You got to be rude to her. You can't support her. You can't. Do this. And so it was like that kind of stuff. And it's, it's very subtle things in the tone of his voice. Um, to balance out and and then to make them even more distance what we did was oftentimes when he's talking it's from a totally different take than when she's talking so their tones oh, right. match and sometimes that works sometimes that doesn't but uh in this one it does intentionally because i think the narcotics allow you to go anywhere you want um and yeah so it, it makes it as though they're communicating but not communicating and then cutting away from her so it's like he's not paying attention to her while she's still talking in the background just building little things like that so that the viewer is immersed yeah and yeah like what a movie of watching it and of course available fright fest i did a quick check before we sat recording the intention is we'll put this interview out fairly swiftly so at oh. time of listening if you're listening to this pretty soon after we put it out um <laughs> you may still have a chance to grab a ticket if you're london or london adjacent get yourself yeah, over so. there um say sunday morning um again uk is not very big you could get there from almost anywhere so if you're around london do go and um, do go and see it live. Um, festivals aside, um, is there anything where people can watch out for whether they'll be able to see it in the future? Are those things still being arranged? Yeah, there's a few a few more festivals that haven't announced yet, um, and I think uh, a couple of them are in the UK and some are in America. Um, I'm hoping other places in Europe pick it up, and uh, my home country of Canada just hasn't been interested so far. But I'll take the UK. Because the UK seems to love it, and I attribute that to me growing up watching Python on, on you know, on repeat. So I think the sense of humor is really translating well over there, because um, I don't think there's any country in the world that blends blood with comedy better than the UK. <laughs> oh yeah, it's every day. It's out in the streets out here. <laughs> yeah. It's like this unique thing that it's like they can. It's, America kind of picks it up, but it's a different type of humor. It's funny. Yeah, so I mean, I'll throw this out to anyone listening now, especially if you're listening to it beyond uh, the week of it being released. Give it a give it a Google or search engine of your choice. See where else yeah. it's going to be playing, and then yeah, go and 
go and check this one out. You mentioned already your Monty Python um, inspiration going forward. Yeah. You know, as a filmmaker, I think I can certainly draw some parallels myself, but for the benefit of the audience, who are your big horror inspirations? Who do you look to in, in those spaces that have given you your love of the genre over the years? Well, I mean, for this one in particular, it was Will Friedkin's Bug that was the biggest push. And I don't, like a lot of people haven't seen that film, but it's one of the better films out there. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the biggest horror film that I always come back to. And I think it really fits with my idea of chaos and and creating, taking that first hour to build character and story and then going crazy. Um, and there's just pretty much, and feeling that doc feel, because a lot of it does feel real. Um, and of course, you know, The Shining, Exorcist, those kind of obvious ones. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm still, I, I really... I really stick to the seventies for some reason. I'm like stuck in that decade. Um, so it's nice to see. And then Jordan Peele's coming back with some great stuff right now. And it seems to deliver every time. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, it's, this one, I, the Claire Denis film as well, but I pull, I'll pull my influences from everywhere. Like uh, that's why I said like Python wouldn't seem like a horror film influence, but it kind of. Yeah. You know, I can, you can see it. Yeah, it's uh, I listen to a lot of Frank Zappa, so I think that's infiltrated my weirdness. But yeah, and, and then so when we talk about the the setting, so it's the the couple away were largely set in a a hotel suite. Since do not disturb, but setting yeah. of Miami, which is where you are today, right? It's where you're based yeah. today. So were yeah. you inspired by your local surroundings every day and think, right, I want to bring a horror film here, or was this always the intention for this movie? Yeah, I mean, when I moved to Miami, it was like, everything's gorgeous. Um, and I, I really want to do a movie down in the Keys because that's even more, I mean, Bloodline kind of showed it off a little bit, but it's just gorgeous. Everything in Miami is amazing. And then you've got these like really unique hotels that has a unique architecture and a unique feel. And like everyone's having fun, everyone's drunk and stoned. and But then they go back to these dark hotel rooms. And I always thought that that was you know these seedy hotels i mean there's some if you drive around town there's some really seedy hotels around here. <clears throat> so it just made sense um originally i had written the film um for mexico okay and uh just that's where the peyote came from because i traveled through mexico a lot when i was younger and i loved the country um and i had traveled on the you know five dollars a day budget sleeping on beaches and very you know, down and out hotels. And, um, and I loved it. And, uh, and I ended my journey in Cancun. Uh, and just around all this stuff, it was a totally different when I saw that I was like, this is not Mexico, this is sort of like, you know, an, um, a European American interpretation of Mexico that we've built to house <laughs> these tourists. And, uh, and I thought that was really interesting. And I think I left there with a strong feeling of that. But it works in it works in Miami. I live in Miami now, so that made a lot of sense. Uh, we shot all the interiors up in Ontario, Canada, um, which is shocking. Like that club sequence is, I think, eight people in the back of a dive bar in <laughs> Ontario. It's uh, yeah, like the credit to the AD and DP for mixing the people around and keeping the lensing so that it feels like a club. Because um, if you've ever been to Northern Ontario, you'll know it's nothing like Miami. Yeah, certainly not with eight people as well to create an entire nightclub scene. No, it's if you, I mean, there's a lot of cutting. And if you watch it a few times, you'll start seeing that the same people are coming in and out. And, but it worked. 
you know. Great. Fantastic. Um, like I heartily recommend people go and check this out wherever they can. Um, and as we before we move on to some quick fire questions I've got for you, John. Um, what's what's next for you? Um what what's next in the pipeline? More projects coming? It's a good question. I have uh I got four or five scripts ready to go. They just need some financing. So I'm, you know, starting to pitch those again. COVID sort of derailed everything. And uh uh, and then this popped up and I just focused on this and I was working on some some television last year. So I've been busy and uh, I'm going to start pitching again. But uh, I've got a couple of fun movies that are kind of ready to go. And I'm working on another one that I'd like to do with Kim if I can. So Fantastic. And of course, if you mentioned that the UK <laughs> tends to like your stuff, you're welcome to come and do something over here as well. Yeah, I would love to figure that out. I think it's a nice... Because uh, I, I grew up in southern Canada... So I was in Canada, but I grew up listening to American television and American radio. And when I leave, left home, I realized I was a little more American than I thought. <laughs> um, and so I think my sensibilities are very bizarre. And then I grew up, uh, my grandmother, I mean, she probably, she felt she was British, even though she's like 10th generation Canada. But uh, <laughs> so. There was a lot of that stuff. So I was around a lot of like, just you get a little mix of everything, but for whatever reason, I'd love to go to the UK and work. It would be great. Well, it's a shame you can't be able to join us this weekend, unless you're planning a, I, a quick I, trip over. I wanted to join and I saved up and booked off the time to join. And then I had a little household emergency that drained um, my savings plus. So I, uh, my money's going there instead of a flight unfortunately these things yeah. happen but hopefully we'll get to catch you over here at um at future fright fest festivals as well it's it yeah. only seems to be getting bigger every year as well so hopefully we'll we'll see you over here for a future one um bearing in mind the hotel and holiday setting of the movie i'm not going to ask you if you'd prefer um you know which horrors you'd prefer but some very quick quick fire questions just to round us off as a holiday guy um <laughs> you know as a as a holiday guy so beach or skiing oh well uh beach because my knees are shot uh, no more skiing for you no, tired your miami and canadian sensibilities there oh no <laughs> <laughs> no last time i ski i skateboarded in way too long in my life and last time i skied my knees were like this so so yeah. sticking sticking by the beach now. So I go either way, but my wife will always say beach, and my life is happier when she's happy. So I'll say beach. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. <laughs> so when you're at the when you're down on a hot holiday, swimming in the pool, swimming in the sea. Pool. Too less sharks. Absolutely. I've watched Jaws too many times, and other movies. But I, I mean, even for this one. Uh, I, I don't think all of it made it in the movie, but there's a part where she's on a jet ski and she's dumping body parts into the ocean. When we filmed that, we were dumping body parts into the ocean. And um, Tony, my blood guy in Miami, made this blood that was oil-based, so it never sank. It just sat. sat on the I surface. Swear, two ounces made this huge pool of blood that was causing traffic stops. People like looking down, thinking there was a shark attack. And I had to, and the, the problem was, is that each one of these arms, I've got one here, actually, if you nice <laughs> each one of that's the one from the end but each one of these arms is like they're so i can't afford them so he lent them to me and he's like don't lose these because this is what this one costs and this one but they all sank so i had to dive through the blood pool to the bottom of the ocean it was just deep enough to get scared and as i came up that 
Jaws feeling. It's gonna, even though there's no sharks in this game, babe. Yeah, like, you're happy back in the pool. Doesn't matter. There's no sharks in the deep end of the pool, but as a child, I was terrified of that. Oh, um, my co-host Ben is famous for his tell for his fear of sharks in the pool. He's a he's obviously a kid of the '80s. Sharks in the pool, quicksand, you name it. Yeah, my cousins and I would swim in my grandfather's pool, and it was like there was a part that was in shadow. We would never go because that's where Jaws lived. <laughs> Don't go in there. Okay, and your final your final holiday question, maybe not like the one in the movie, but. Family friendly resort or adults only? Oh God, uh, <laughs> I gotta. Can I have both? Um, yeah, family friendly during the day and adults only at night. Perfect, <laughs> perfect, um, brilliant. So yeah, great. Go and check out. Um, Do not disturb at Fright Fest. That other festivals coming up and hopefully, eventually in Canada. Come on, Canada, if you're listening. Oh, I'm sure. they're they're a little behind on the schedule, but they'll they'll they'll, 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 pop up. they'll they'll get to it. Um, John, where can where can the people find you and follow you if they want to keep up with your news and upcoming releases? Instagram is probably the best place, and um, I'm I'm Jane at Jamesley, and uh, and then there's if you find me there, you'll quickly find Do Not Disturb movie. But there's a bunch of underscores in that one because Instagram doesn't allow capital letters or something. Um, so it's Do Not Disturb movie with underscores separating each word. Um, I am on Twitter, however, I don't participate a lot on Twitter, but I will repost and I'll I'll publicize there. But I'm not on Facebook at all. They they booted me and they don't want me back. So yeah, they're not uh they're not up with a horror down in Facebook apparently. So. What we'll do is we'll put all these in the show notes as well so people can oh. so people can check this out and follow along. Um, I guess, John, we've, we've mentioned about your film influences. We will end with you having friends around to hang out and watch a horror movie. What are you picking to put on? Depends who the friends are, but... Oh. Standard mixed crowd. Some people you know well, maybe one or two partners that you've not met before so you can't go too hard. What's a good crowd, please, a horror movie? a lot of pressure um i don't know if it's a horror movie but I'll, i'm gonna go with bad batch because i just want pe- more people to see it <laughs> i think it's a great i don't even know if it's a horror film but there's cannibalism and there's great colors it's shot amazingly i think anna lily is like one of the best directors of our time um so i want to spread her magic and i think it's more commercially accept- like accessible than oh sort of i guess but that's Wait. all I'll go with bad batch because i love that film great choices well thank you very much john i hope you have some wonderful feedback come in from do not disturb at fright fest this weekend as i say if you're listening to this on the time it comes out and you're anywhere near london i believe day passes weekend passes and tickets for individual screenings including do not disturb are still available you're going to be on at the prince charles cinema sunday morning 27th of august um go and check it out if you can and anywhere else again otherwise thank you yeah it's a great way to start your sunday yeah, I guess I definitely more interesting than church. I would. Yeah. I'm willing to go on the record and say that. Perfect. Thank you very much, John. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can find us at horror underscore hangout underscore. We're stuck in the underscore game as well on Twitter. Um, follow me at Andy CT writes. Uh, and then we'll see you for another episode next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you.
Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit